good morning. And uh, we're just having all kinds of cool stuff going on at New Spring this week. Uh, wonderful service last night, and then three services today. And then right now, while we're here, there's Discovery going on. And uh, Discovery is where people are looking at making you know, an official connection at New Spring. And I heard that there were like 109 there already and lines forming. So aren't you excited to be part of a church where so many people are coming to help? You know? We have such a great commission to reach the world with the good news of Jesus, and I'm always excited when, when God starts increasing our family like he's doing. Uh, before I get into the talk today, if you read my email or read my blog, you know that uh, I said we have some really exciting news. Um, it's news, and it's kind of not news. Uh, we've been working on this for about a year and a half, but sometimes just things come together very quickly. Uh, for those of you who might be new to New Spring, we've grown so rapidly in the last uh, 18 months that there have been times when our growth has put some stress on certain, one, certain of our environments. And uh, Kids World especially has felt that stress. Uh, I'm going to take you back to what's transpired three or four years ago now, but when we really started growing, we actually had to take all of our adult space and convert it to kids space. And I know you've heard me tell the story of how that my beautiful office over here that we dreamed up when we were you know, drawing the building up is now part of the three-year-old complex. Um, but one of the things that's just kind of broken my heart from time to time is our kids were leaders who said, Mark, we, we get close to capacity sometimes, and what do we do if we hit capacity? And we actually have to shut a class down. And we've, we've, we've had that happen. We've, we keep trying to expand and, and make ways of going around that, but we've known that if we're seriously going to reach out to the next generation and do what God has called us to do, we're going to have, have to have more space. And so I'm happy to uh, let you know that our... our uh, Board of Trustees who've been working this for a long time and our team are ready to go now with a new building that will effectively double our kids' space. And uh, man, stuff is coming together like you would not believe. God just answering prayer after prayer after prayer. So uh, the, 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 the lion's share of, of all the information that, that you'll want to know will be uh, given out this Wednesday night at First Wednesday. So I want to encourage all of you to be here and, and be part of ratifying and, uh, and seeing what's happening and, and, and knowing the direction that we're going, it's gonna, I think you're going to be absolutely thrilled and excited about what God is doing here. And, and we've just been on, and I hate to use an existential term like this, but we've been on such a wonderful journey here at New Spring. Do you realize that we moved into this facility 10 years ago, May 23rd? This coming May 23rd is 10 years ago. And I can't figure out how I haven't gotten any older um, in that length of time. <laughs> No, I've gotten a lot older. Uh, and, but what's happened is, we, we are, you know, when we moved out here, we averaged about 750 people in attendance. Right now, we're at about 34, 35, 3,600. And so that, that's pretty much in the same facility that we came out here with, and we've rebuilt it from the inside several times. We're really excited to get some brand-new kids' space. And moms and dads, grandparents, it is going to be mind-blowing, you know? You've seen some cool stuff already. It is going to be extraordinary. And if you're new to New Spring, could I just tell you kids are everything to us? Uh, kids' needs are on the front burner. Uh, if we had to, we would pull the seating out of here and we'd go meet someplace else because kids are everything at New Spring. And uh, I just want to give you that. That's, that's coming this Wednesday, first Wednesday. And now I want to get into the talk. We're in a series right now called Say Yes. And we're talking about four impulses that it's always good to say yes to. We live in a scary, tentative time. The economy's tanking. Nobody knows really how bad things are. 
I don't hear anybody that seems to come up with a solution. And I'm not, I'm not knocking any of our politicians because I don't know that I'd have any better solutions if I was there. But doesn't it sound kind of strange that when you're, when you're borrowed already up to the hilt and you don't know if you're going to make it, that the answer is to borrow a bunch more money and go out and spend it? I mean, would, would that work with our own finances? And so, I, again, I'm not, I'm not dissing anybody. I'm just saying we're in, we're in a tough time. We're in a tough spot. And we all feel that. And some of us feel it more acutely than others because I know that layoffs and, and just the, the specter of layoffs has gotten maybe pretty close to home for some of us. So we, we worry what to do, and, and we can begin to pull back and hold back from impulses that come to us. And we say things like, well, when everything levels out, or when, when things start to work out for me again, then I can kind of like come out of my foxhole and I can start living life again. And I understand that in certain areas of life that that's probably what many of us will do, especially when it comes to like buying a home or not buying a home or spending or not spending and all of that. But I want to talk to you about four impulses that you and I have, especially those of us who have decided to follow Christ. And it could be that you're here today and you you say, Mark, I haven't made that decision yet. And I understand and I'm just so thrilled that you're here and you're you're kind of checking things out and seeing what you believe or what you don't believe. But especially for those of us who have decided at some point that we are going to follow Christ, there are four impulses that are transformative. They transform us and they change the world around us. And I want you to know whether we're in the Great Depression or if we're in the biggest boom economy that the world has ever seen, these are four impulses that you're always totally safe to say yes to because God underwrites these impulses. God has made you and me promises that if we will say yes to these impulses, then he will take care of us and bless us beyond our wildest dreams. Last week, we talked about generosity. And I think that was a good place to start because when times are tough, we can freeze up and we can say, wow, I can't afford to be generous. Last week, we learned we can't afford not to be generous because God responds to people who are generous. And you guys wrote me stories. And even this week, I got some great stories that you wrote me about times when you've been generous. And and I I got to read a a lot of these last night and I won't have time today, but uh, I was really, really pumped when I read one particular story a lady had written me that she didn't get to attend last week, but her husband did, and they've been shopping for a big screen TV, you know, and they'd finally found a great bargain, and they were actually watching a show for the first time after they had it all installed, and, and in the middle of the show, her husband said, we need to talk, and he said, you know, they just started thinking about some things that they need to do that would be generous, some, actually a family that had helped them at one time who needed help, and they actually took the television back, got the money back, and responded in generosity. And I was, I, I don't know how, what, what, what that says to you, but man, when you take back a plasma TV, that's pretty serious. <laughs> and I read it, and I told Lance, I'm not sure I could have done that. But isn't that cool? I'll be saying yes to generosity. Today, we want to go to another really, really important place in your life, an impulse in your life and my life where it's always safe to say yes. And that's say yes to serving, to say yes to serving. When we have the impulse to meet somebody else's need, and, and maybe even more, more specifically, when you and I have the impulse to humble ourselves and to lower ourselves to the extent that we do something that might ordinarily be considered beneath us. I, I really enjoyed listening to, to uh, the guys talk on the video, and Don was 
you know, talking about how that Dan is so tall, you know, and yet stooping to work with two-year-olds. To me, that's a beautiful physical picture of what we're talking about in a spiritual sense. Serving is when you and I humble ourselves to meet somebody else's need instead of saying, I'm too big or I'm too busy. Now, we don't usually articulate the first one, but we do articulate the second one. I'm too busy. But really often what's in our minds is, that's below me. Well, I want to take us back in time, um, and, and if you, we're going to read some scriptures from, from, the, from the life of Jesus, but before we get there, could I just get something off my chest? And I don't know if you see what I see, but I, I, I try not to just stand up before you and harp about what I think is wrong with America. But one of the issues that I have with our culture today, maybe the biggest issue I have, is how celebrity crazed we are. Do you feel that too? I mean, when I, when I was a kid growing up, we talked about heroes, and we, we looked up to people who sacrificed and were people of honor in order to accomplish great things. You know, you know people like Clara Barton, you know, people like you know, uh, Booker T. Washington. You know, we looked up to, to heroes who, who sacrificed their own sense of comfort and well-being to, for the greater good to, to meet the needs of mankind. And, and those are the kinds of people that we declared heroes. But today, it seems like we're just lost in, in this wash of celebrity worship. And, you know, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not knocking, you know, shows that, you know, reality shows where somebody rises to the top like American Idol. But isn't it, doesn't it ever cross your mind why our culture is so in love with celebrity? I really believe that the psychology behind that is what we, what we look at when we see those people is people who get to do whatever they want. They, they have money, they have fame, they have fortune. You know, they're rock stars, they're actors, they're athletes. They can buy whatever they want to buy. They can do whatever they want. And they have people. They have people to just do whatever they want them to do, you know. And was, if, they, if, they, if they want something, it's at their back and call. And I think it's not lost on us as a culture. And whether we, whether we articulate this to ourselves or not, I think there's something within us that says, I'd like to be there. I'd like to be at the place where I don't have any limitations. I'd like to be at the place, if I just want something, it's right there in front of me. And yet, the question I want to ask us today is, is that true greatness? Is that really what greatness is all about? Well, unless I'm too hard on, you know, to keep me from being too hard on Americans today, I need to back up in time and tell you that there were 12 guys who were starstruck. They were celebrity crazed. And those 12 guys were the 12 disciples of Jesus. Let me set it up for you. Jesus is on his way to be crucified. They are traveling to Jerusalem. And, and he's leading. He's out in front. But the 12 kind of like get further and further behind him. They're kind of dragging back. And they're talking with each other. And it's not just talk. It's kind of heated discussion. Jesus doesn't stop. He just keeps on. And finally they get to their destination and, and by the way, wasn't it stupid for them to, like, try to stay out of earshot of Jesus? I mean, he's the son of God, you know? I mean, he knew everything they were into, but he just kind of, like, kept on. And finally he said, um, hey, what was it you guys were talking about back there? And none of, nobody wanted to tell him. You know, they were all kind of looking at the ground, kicking the gravel and stuff. They, they didn't say anything about it. The reason they didn't want to tell him what they were talking about was they had been hassling each other over who was the greatest among them, who was number one. And I don't know what they were saying. Maybe Peter was saying, well, I'm number one because I'm a better fisherman than anybody here. And it could be that Matthew was saying, listen, you guys are just a bunch of rednecks. I, I've been a tax collector. 
you know? And Simon's, I don't even, I have no idea what Simon Zelotti said. He, he, he was a bomb maker. He was a radical. He, he could have said, I'm number one because I could blow the rest of you up. I don't know what they were saying. But they were, they were giving each other a hard time about who was number one among them, which really is kind of interesting also because later on when these guys, you know, began to go out and minister, the, the popular conception according to the Bible was that these were unlearned, I'm quoting, unlearned and ignorant men. Well, who cares who is first among unlearned and ignorant men? But they've been, they've been arguing over that. Well, finally they get to the place for supper. But before I do that, I just want to tell you what Jesus said to these guys. Um, this is in the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10. Jesus got them together to settle things down. You've observed how godless rulers throw their weight around, he said. And when people get a little power, how quickly it goes to their heads. It's not going to be that way with you. Now, when Jesus said it's not going to be that way with you, he clearly meant the the 11 disciples, but I believe he also meant you and me because those of us who signed up to follow Jesus, he is saying to us, and the same thing is true, I don't know what you see, but in 2009 it looks the same to me, that people who get some power, a lot of times it goes to their head, and people who have authority, they, they throw their weight around. But Jesus is saying to you and me who are followers of Christ, it's not going to be that way with you. Now look at this paradigm that he sets out for them. Whoever wants to be great, and by the way, let's stop for a moment. Jesus didn't say it's wrong to want to be great. Whoever wants to be great must become a servant. What? That sounds backwards. You know, because in our mind, whoever wants to be great, you have to get a better education. You have to get a better job. You have to make more money. You have to marry somebody that's hotter than everybody else marries in your company. And, and you've got to be smarter and, and cut every corner. Jesus said whoever wants to be great, though, must become a servant. Whoever wants to be first. Nothing wrong with wanting to be first, I guess. Whoever wants to be first among you must become your slave. Verse 45, that is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served, and then to give away his life in exchange for many who were held hostage. And as one who was held hostage by sin, I'm so thankful that Jesus came for us. You see what he's saying? He's, these guys who have been out there arguing over which one was number one, Jesus said, well, listen, guys, I want to settle this thing down and get it straight once and for all. He's saying that out there in the world, this is what people do, but not in my family. In my family, if you want to be great, you become a servant. If you want to be first, you become a slave to meet the needs of other people. And just in case they said, oh, we don't like that very much, Jesus said, that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm about. Guys, when Jesus came into our world, he's the son of God. He could have laid on the beach in Florida and drank lemonade, you know. He, he could have just, you know, had a good time. But when he came into our world, what did he do? He served, he served, he served, he served. He met people's needs. That is what Jesus' followers do. Well, you would want to think at that point the disciples would say, oh, we get it now. Okay. Well, so if we're going to be first, let's see. Uh, if we're going to be the greatest, we've got to start serving everybody else. And if we want to be number one, we've got to become the slave of everybody here. Wow, it just kind of like phew, went right over their head because it wasn't but a few hours that they were having what we call the Last Supper. Now, when you and I watch or we read or, or about the Last Supper or we see pictures of it, we sort of get this image in our, our minds that they were at this long table. You ever seen the painting? with this long table, and they're all sitting, you know, on benches or chairs behind this table. Bogus, bogus, bogus. Totally wrong. 
People in that culture didn't sit at tables. They would eat in a semi-reclining position with, you know, they would, they would be lying on their sides and they would be propping up their heads with their elbows. And I want you to get this picture in your mind. Thankfully, we're a little away from lunch, and so maybe it won't spoil your lunch. But I want you to imagine this. These are 13 guys who've been walking on a hot day in sandals. And they're all lying on the floor, and their feet are out there. And, and just to be genteel as I can about this, whenever you're eating dinner, somebody's feet are going to be pretty close to your face. So here's what happened in those cultures. What they would do is the the lowest servant of the house would come out if there was going to be a dinner. The lowest servant of the house would come out and wash everybody's feet. That was like the bottom job in any household. If there was no servant in the house, I don't know how many babies of the family we have. I am the baby of my family. If, if If you were the youngest kid in the family, that would be your job. It's the lowest job in the house to wash people's feet. But a necessary one. And Jesus just told the guys, Hey, if you want to be number one, become the slave of everybody. So they all go into this upper room, and they all lie down on the floor and get ready to eat with stinky feet, and nobody's moving. Nobody's even moving to wash Jesus' feet. I mean, this thing about who's number one, I mean, even though Jesus brought his message, it went right over their heads, and they didn't get it. And so right now, you know, we're kind of waiting, and somebody ought to wash. You ever get into a situation where somebody ought to do something? You have, a, you have with your team at work, somebody ought to do something about this. And I'm sure there were 12 guys there with Jesus who were saying, you know what, somebody ought to wash the feet. And I think that what was going on in their minds is, I may not be number one, but I'm not at the bottom here. So can you sort of see them? I mean, it's a sort of, you know, they're playing a game of chicken, staring at each other to see who's going to admit that he's the lowest person in the room. Now that you know the scenario, I want to read part of John 13 to you. Jesus knew that the Father had given him authority over everything and that he had come from God and would return to God. So he got up from the table, took off his robe, wrapped a towel around his waist, and poured water into a basin. Then he began to wash the disciples' feet, drying them with the towel he had around him. So who was it who got up and did something? It was Jesus. Now, I want to talk real straight to us today. I understand very clearly where I am. I'm standing on stage in a suburban church. And I know very clearly that we have many people in our congregation who are brilliant, who are well-educated, well-compensated. We live in nice homes. We drive nice automobiles. We wear nice clothes. And even though we might not ever say it to anybody, there are needs around us in God's work and outside these walls that we could address. But the reason why many of us don't do it frankly, is that we are too important. That's for somebody else. What Jesus does in John 13 forever blows that out of the water. You say, but Mark, you don't understand. I I, I basically make about $100 an hour. And, And my time is worth more than somebody else's time who would do something like this. 
Now, just in case you think your resume over qualifies you to volunteer, let us look at what the Holy Spirit wanted clearly placed in this text so that we would not miss it. Go back to verse 1. Jesus knew. Now, the word knew, know there or knew means he knew totally. He knew completely. He knew way beyond any shadow of a doubt. Jesus had, the Greek word here means he had total grasp of this. What did he know? He knew that the Father had given him authority over everything. Wow, just in case any of us feel too big to wash somebody else's feet, let's go back to that. Jesus knew, he had a full grasp of this, that the Father had given him authority over everything. God had said, son, you now control everything. And that he had come from God. Sometimes we're too big to serve because what we've experienced in the past and the places we've been and the people that we've met and the achievements that we've achieved, they have just somehow overqualified us to stoop down and maybe minister to children. And yet Jesus said, or the Bible says about Jesus, he had come from God. That's quite a resume. And Somebody could say, well, Mark, listen, I would love to volunteer and help people, but I'm just destined for great things. I got big things happening in my life. This is coming down. This big deal is coming down. I'm about to be hired for this job. Look at Jesus' future and would return to God. Jesus understood very clearly that night when he got up with a towel and a basin of water, he wasn't just standing up as an ex-carpenter. He was standing up with God having given him all authority, with his resume saying he had come from God, with his, res- with his future saying he would return to God and control all things. And yet, with that being true, Jesus got up and did the job of the lowest slave in the house. Now, here's the question from Mark this morning. Can I honestly say I'm a Christ follower? I can honestly say Jesus has saved me. But there's a difference between being saved and being a follower of Jesus, a disciple. Because, see, here's the deal. If I follow Jesus, I will go where he goes. I will do what he does. And what did he do? He was a servant. He he was first. He was the greatest. And yet, what did he do? He made himself a slave. I mean, guys, here's the deal. We'd have no hope if he hadn't gone to the cross and given himself for you and me. Awesome truth. Now, verse 12. After washing their feet... Can you imagine? Guys, I, I, I got to see this on video when we get to heaven. I hope the Lord's got this and just show it to us. Because don't you know, don't you know, when Jesus started doing this, nobody said anything except Peter, who shot his mouth off all the time. He said, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if you don't want me to wash your feet, you don't have any part of me. And then Peter said, well, just give me a bath then. That's in the text. We skipped it. <laughs> but I think outside of that, nobody said anything. I mean, you know, and, and by the way, do you realize, do you realize that Jesus washed Judas' feet? The man who had sold him for just a few dollars, Jesus stooped down and washed his feet. That's the kind of Lord you serve. Now, verse 12, after washing your feet, he put on his robe again and sat down and asked, do you understand what I was doing? Now, guys, let's not go past that too quickly because I mean, if, if we just take that at first blush, we say, yeah, you were washing everybody's feet. But that's not what Jesus said. He, he didn't say, did you see what I was doing? He said, do you understand what I was doing? That's a bigger question. 
The Lord was saying, have you guys processed this? Has it gotten through? Because after all, he had already told them once before when he was trying to settle them down. He had said, if you want to be great, become everybody's servant. It, they didn't get it. So he, he acted on it, and he washed their feet, and he said, do you understand? You call me teacher, verse 13, and Lord, and you're right, because that's what I am. And since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. Verse 15, I've given you an example to follow. Now, skip down to verse 17. Because somebody can say, well, wait a minute, Mark, I'm just really struggling with this because if, if I process this like Jesus is asking the disciples to do, and I step forward and I start serving and meeting needs, man, these are tough times, Mark. I'm doing everything I can to keep my nose above water. And, and it really, it sounds like Jesus is calling me to a life that's really unpleasant. I mean, to be everybody's servant? Hang with me for a moment. Verse 17. Jesus said to the disciples, now that you know these things, God, well, like this, God will bless you for doing them. How many of us today could stand some God's blessing in our lives? I could. Wouldn't you like to have God's favor? And here's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, I know this may not be easy. It's difficult to serve. It's difficult to stoop down. It's difficult to stop what you're doing and meet somebody's needs. But Jesus said, understand, this is what the kingdom is about. And the people who do these things experience God's blessing in their lives. Well, I, I, asked, I asked the church to, to like send me stories. And I, I got to read a lot last night. But I want to give you eight things real quickly. And I'm just going to scroll right through these. I guess I'll probably post these in case I go through these too fast. But when I read the stories that you guys wrote me about volunteering, and hundreds and hundreds of you are volunteering in New Spring and outside of New Spring, um, I, I caught eight things that servants do. You ready for these? I'm going to go through these quickly. Number one, I saw that servants see nothing as below them if it meets a need. Servants don't measure how big they are. They measure how big the need is. Number two, I like this one. I saw that servants are comfortable in their own skin. One thing about servants, they're not always trying to impress you with who they are. I mean, because here's the deal. If I'm trying to impress you, I'm going to show you what big things I do. If, if I'm a servant, I'm stooping to do things that are below me. Sir, if, if you ever meet somebody who's comfortable in their own skin, you'll find a servant. Number three, servants are tenacious. They, they, they lock on and they stay. One thing I see about service, because we have a lot of so-called volunteerism in America. It probably does good things, but it's kind of one-shot volunteerism. True volunteerism that makes a difference is volunteerism that's there, you know, week in, week in, week out. Um, number four, servants are hospitable. They make room in their lives. I mean, I, I met people this week who are making room in their homes. Just, just awesome. Servants are hospitable. A big one that I saw constantly, servants overcome obstacles. And Here's one that I, I got a lot of emails about that, that I, I would love to read to you. That just don't have time, but just great stuff. Serving tends to put you in a first-class community. You want to meet great, great people? Then volunteer. Then serve. Uh, we have connection groups here, and they're awesome, and people you know, get to know people, and it's great. I, also, I sometimes think some of the most powerful connection groups at New Spring are people who volunteer together. I got a lot of emails about that. Actually, one, one couple that started dating after volunteering together. And for some of you, that's like, okay, I'll check that one. Um, <laughs> but if you're a servant, you get to hang with other servants. One th another thing that you would have expected, serving brings joy and fulfillment. And then finally, serving leaves a legacy. The most poignant email I got this week was from a lady who talked about how that 
her mom volunteered when she was a little girl. And this girl herself had gone through some, some tough things, and her mom would just like, wherever, wherever she was, wherever there needed to be help, she just moved and volunteered there. And even though she could have made a lot of money, she continually volunteered. And she said, Mark, my mom died at 38. And I wrote her back and I said, I have to tell you, your mom left you a greater legacy in her 38 years than a lot of people do in 80. Servants leave a legacy. Because at the end, when you die, people are going to go through your stuff. I mean, you know, here's the deal. You can say, well, Mark, listen, I don't think I want to serve anybody. I'm all about me. I'm going to live in this big house. I'm going to drive these expensive cars. I'm going to take these great vacations. And I'm going to buy these designer clothes. Well, when you die, there will be people who will go through your stuff. And they will say, well, that's his BMW. Well, you know the next question? It's going to be, well, who gets it? They're not going to say, wow, he was something. You mean he had, you know, he, you know, he, he, he had a Bentley? No, no. There's a story in the Bible, and when I was a kid growing up, I, I, I would go to Sunday school, and, or I'd go to Bible school, and, and they would teach stories. And for some reason, this particular story really captured my imagination. It's one that we don't look at very much. So I'd like to read it to you, because it really fits what we're talking about right now. This is in the book of Acts chapter 9, in the early days of the first church. And, and the Bible says, down the road away in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, gazelle in our language. Gazelle. Can you imagine somebody? It was a lady. Her nickname was Gazelle. And, and I was thinking about the song that Lance was leading us in today that talked about serving, and it talked about running to meet needs. And that's, that's cool, isn't it? I mean, this is a gal that just like ran to meet people's needs, so much so that they called her Gazelle. Well, let's pick up the story. She was well known for doing good and helping out. During the time Peter was in the area, she became sick and died. Her friends prepared her body for burial and put her in a cool room. Some of the disciples had heard that Peter was visiting in nearby Lydda and sent two men to ask if he would be so kind as to come over. Peter got right up and went over with them. They took him into the room where Tabitha's body was laid out. Her old friends, most of them widows, were in the room mourning. And this is the part that I like. They showed Peter pieces of clothing the gazelle had made while she was with them. That's the last part I'll read. Peter raises her after this, but I like that. After this lady died, there was stuff that she had done to meet people's needs. And they said, look, look what she did. Can I ask you a question? And God forbid that you should die. I hope you live another 100 years if that's God's plan for you. For some of us, we'd be quite old if we lived another 100 years here. But what if you were to die today? What could your friends point to and say, this is where he served. And don't, don't tell me about your house and your car and your insurance policy. This is where he served. This is what she did to meet other people's needs. See, the great thing about servants is they leave a legacy. They may not die rich. They may not leave a lot of money to their heirs. But they leave something that's much more precious. And beyond that, they have met the needs of others. God will bless them for it in eternity and in this life. And they will leave this life fulfilled and happy. Guys, I want to encourage you today, especially, and I want to talk, I know that some of us are not New Springers, but I really want to talk to New Springers today. If we are really the church of Jesus Christ, we will prove it by the way we serve. We'll prove it by the way we say yes to serving. And I want to lay out a challenge to every New Springer here today. 
I want to challenge you to serve inside and outside. Our, you know our mantra here at New Spring is worship one, serve one. We have four services right now, maybe five someday. I know we will on Easter. And we encourage all of our, all of our New Springers to like worship in one service and volunteer in one service. And it takes us between three and 400 volunteers to have a weekend at New Spring. And people always told me, and then I hope you feel this way, but people just tell me constantly, Mark, I love the feeling when I came in here. I just walked in here and I could just feel how wonderful this place is. And I have to tell you what I believe, just, just telling you my heart about this. I mean, I don't think it's me. I don't think it's, I don't think it's the staff. I don't think it's necessarily, you know, the good things that have happened in this place. I honestly believe one of the reasons why you feel what you feel when you walk in is you are feeling the grace of hundreds of God followers who are freely giving their time and their energy to serve you. I mean, this is not a kid's environment. This is an adult environment for adults. But all around you, at almost 360 degrees, there are people serving you today. If you have children, they're they are meeting your needs so that you can be in here and hear what God has to say to you, these transformative truths, and to hear them without interruption. And beyond that, you know that your children are being taken care of by people who, and, and it's so funny, many of them are stooping physically to work with your kids. But they love you, and they love your kids, and they're passionate about what God is doing. We had one of our local TV networks come out and do a special on Kids World, and Dan had told me when it was going to air, and so I would recorded it, and I was watching it. And sure, our kids were having a good time, but you know what got to me was our adult workers were having a good time. I mean, these are people who are serving with joy. And why are they doing that? They're doing it because they love you and they love what God is doing here. I honestly believe that a lot of what we feel when we walk in here is just, it's just the aroma of being in a place where, where God's people are serving. And I want to talk to all of you who are New Springers and you say, Mark, I haven't found my place yet. Well, I want to give you two places you can start. One place, we always need kids workers. That's a great opportunity. You can, you, can, you can get involved in the most important thing God is doing in the world. And, and if you think this is a commercial, it is. I'm going to point right over there. <laughs> After the service at Kids World, there, there's going to be a place where if you just say, hey, I, you know, it's not like you're going to be signed up for next Sunday necessarily or next Saturday night. But if you're just saying, I, I w- I'm ready to explore that possibility of serving that direction, you can go to the check-in area right over here at the end of the service. I'm pointing on my left. And you just say, hey, I'm interested in serving. I want to meet the needs of kids and change the next generation. Do you realize that it is pretty common for us to have somewhere between 850 and 1,000 kids on a weekend? That's just from birth to fifth grade. And you could make a difference. You say, well, Mark, I don't, I, don't know, I, don't, I don't know if I'm that talented. Listen, guys, our program is so broad, you're talented to do something in there. Another area is, uh, to, me, to me, one of the greatest ministries at New Spring is First Impressions because First Impressions people, they just help people with information. They just reach out to people who are coming into to the Lord's house. Whenever I go to somebody's house to have dinner, they meet me at the door and welcome me at the door. Jesus is not here physically here today. He's here with, through the presence of his Holy Spirit with us. But when you work in First Impressions, you're welcoming people. You're standing in Jesus' place to welcome people to his house. You're handing somebody a cup of coffee. You're answering their questions. You're helping them know where to, where to, where to take their kids. Tremendous opportunity. You say, well, Mark, I don't, I, don't know. I don't know if I'd be good at that or not. I wish you could read some of the stories that people wrote me about saying, hey, I was shy, but I tried first impressions, and I love it. 
I'm going to another commercial. You ready for it? Straight out those middle doors, right to the right. They're ready to talk to you about being part of First Impressions. And those are just some of the places to volunteer. So I want to challenge every new springer here today. And if you're not a new springer, you know, please don't feel this pressure unless you're going to be a new springer. And then just go ahead and feel the pressure and file it away. But now I want to lay something on new springers because, see here, I don't think it's enough just for us to serve inside our walls. I think we need to serve outside our walls. And one thing that I guess we wrestle with here at New Springers is so many good causes. And every once in a while, well, should the church get involved in this? And here's what messes up most churches. Most churches get messed up trying to meet all the the needs that come up in a community. And I got to tell you, just keeping it real here, what happens at that point is bureaucracy and bottlenecking. What needs to happen is when the 3,700 of us that worship here on a weekend, when we walk out of these doors, we need to look at this town, look at this community, look at our state, and look at the world through the prism of what should a Christ follower do to step up. See, here's the thing. I love when, when, when Tabitha was called gazelle. That meant she was able to speedily meet the, meet the needs of other people. And if we don't have bureaucracies here, you're free to go out in this community and meet the needs out there that both that that most sync up with what God is calling you to do. Do you, let me just uh, guys? I know I'm going to overtime. I gotta quit here. But like I, one more thing, I promise. One more thing, and I'll stop. Do you realize that less than twenty percent of Americans worship in any church in any given Sunday? Why is that? And beyond that, you think about the attitude of a lot of people toward. Church people. Is it good right now? No. You know whose fault that is? It's church people's fault. We have gotten so involved in politics, we've tried to legislate people to behave. What kind of difference do you think that all the Christ followers in America could have made if they had gone out into the communities where they lived and actually began to be Jesus' hands and Jesus' feet meeting needs? You say, well, Mark, there are people out there. They don't deserve it. You and I don't deserve it. So I want to challenge every new springer here, inside and outside. I mean, be part of what God is doing here because God is transforming lives. This is... I mean, it's amazing what God is doing here, but don't stop with that. Walk outside these doors and say, where can I serve? Because Jesus said, if you want to be great, you become a servant. If you want to be first, become a slave. I said one more thing with this caveat. Somebody could say, well, Mark, all I see when I go out is just people that don't deserve it. This from Matthew 25, verse 34, Jesus is talking about what's going to happen when we get to heaven, you and me. We're going to get there. And Jesus said, then the king, that's Jesus, will say to those on his right, those are people who are going to heaven, enter you who are blessed by my father, take what's coming to you in this kingdom. There's all kinds of rewards and cool stuff. Jesus said, it's been ready for you since the world's foundation. So in other words, God knew what we were going to do and how we were going to volunteer. He's got stuff for us in heaven, you know, Bentleys, mansions, bass boats. I mean, I don't know, I'm just... It's been ready for you since the world's foundation. And here's why. Jesus said, stuff is waiting for you. I've got all this huge bounty of stuff that before the world was ever created, I had it here for you. And Jesus is saying, here's why I'm going to give it to you. I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was homeless, and you gave me a room. 
I was shivering, and you gave me clothes. I was sick, and you stopped to visit me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then those sheep, that's us, are going to say, Master, what are you talking about? When did we ever see you hungry and feed you? Thirsty and gave you a drink. And when did we ever see you sick or in prison or come to you? Then the king will say, I'm telling you the solemn truth. Whenever you did one of these things to somebody overlooked or ignored, that was me. You were doing it to me. That's why you can say yes to serving. Let's pray. Father, thank you for letting us be here today. And Lord, we do have a hard time grasping this message just like your disciples did. But help us to see your demonstration and to see your love and then to follow you. Lord, I pray that when we get these impulses, that you'll just like emphasize them in our minds so that we'll know it's an impulse from you. And then say yes. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, just pray with me another moment. I I can't get away from this. Jesus said the reason he came into the world was to be a slave for all of us. He died the death of a slave. Did you know no Roman citizen could die crucifixion? No no matter what he had done. No Roman soldier, no Roman citizen could die by crucifixion. It was a death for slaves. And imagine that. Jesus lay willingly on a cross to die as a slave for you and me. And why? So that we could go to heaven. So that we could be part of that group Jesus was talking about. Every weekend I talk to you about God's free gift of eternal life. And and many of you take him up on it. And I want to pray a prayer with you. If you've never prayed to invite Christ into your life, here's all you need to know. Jesus died on the cross to pay for your sins. He proved he was God by walking out of his grave under his own power three days later. He is, as the Bible says, the Son of God with all authority being given to him. And if you're willing to invite him in to your life to take away your sins and to bring you into God's family, all you have to do is say yes to him. So I'm going to pray a prayer. These aren't magic words. God's looking for the yes. But if you're ready to ask Christ into your life, you can pray this prayer with me. Dear Jesus, I know I've done wrong but I believe you died to pay for my sins. Please forgive me and save me. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I tell you every week, we have a gift that we prepared for you. If you just prayed that prayer, got DVDs in it, great information. We just want you to have it. It won't cost you a penny. If you pray to receive Christ, it happens so quickly. I know that. I want you to have this to solidify it. Just take your worship folder. There's a detachable card. If you'll just fill out the card with your name and address and check the box that says that you prayed to receive Christ, if you'll drop it in the offering bags or in the boxes at the back doors or in the uh, lobby, uh, I'll mail this to you this week if you have just a few extra seconds. And because of, because of discovery, we're not quite as full as we normally are, so you have just a few extra minutes. You can stop by guest services back there or, or uh, excuse me, New Spring store, and all you have to do is say, I pray with Mark and give them this, and then they'll let you have this. And the line maybe a little bit longer back there because there are going to be a lot of you talking about first impressions. I know that when you go back there. But uh, if, you, if you just have one of these, you can just kind of wave it at them and they'll give you, give you the uh, packet and you can take it with you.
God bless you for coming today. I love this series. It kind of gets under our hood and behind our grill, but I love this series. Say yes. You know, say yes. So I want to encourage you to do that.